is Wealth Wake Up with Dick Donahue on KGMI News Talk 790, 96.5 FM in Bellingham and KGMI.com. Welcome to Wealth Wake Up Live. Dick Donahue with you this Saturday morning. Thank you for being with us. A little windy and wet out there lately, but uh, nice and calm and warm in here today. So anyway, we're going to start out with the weekly wrap for this week. And uh, the stock market closed out the month of November with solid gains and began the month of December on a positive note. Friday's close marked a new 52-week high for the S&P 500, which brushed up against the 4600 level at its high of the day. Notably, mega-cap stocks were somewhat left behind this week. The mega-cap growth ETF eked out a tenth of 1% gain, while the S&P 500 rose eight-tenths of 1%, and the equal-weighted S&P 500 jumped 2.5%. Only two of the S&P 500 sectors logged a decline, Communication services down 2.5% and energy down a tenth of 1%. The rate-sensitive real estate sector was up 4.6%, which saw the biggest gain, followed by materials up 2.6%, industrials up 2.1%, and financials up 2.1%. There was likely some fear of missing out on further gains as a seasonality strong period of the market contributing to the positive action this week. But the biggest driving factors were interest rates and rethinking rate cuts in the first half of 24. The two-year note yield, which is the most sensitive to changes in Fed funds rates, plunged 39 basis points. That would be almost four-tenths of 1% this week to 4.56%. The 10-year note yielded 24 basis points, again about a quarter of a percent, to 4.23%. Also, the Fed funds future market now sees a much higher probability of a rate cut in May, 89% in uh, projecting that now, compared to a week ago, which was at 47.8. Some Fed officials pushed back on the idea that rate cuts will occur in the first half of 24, but they did not deter investors. Richmond Fed President uh, Burke Barkin, who is a 24 voter, and Fed Governor Bowman, who who is currently a voter, and Fed Chair Powell all made comments this week indicating they believe it is premature to talk rate cuts. Investors received a slate of economic data this week that continued to look consistent with a soft landing scenario for the economy. Notable releases included a stronger-than-expected consumer price index for November, an upward revision of the third quarter real GDP to 5.2% from 4.9%, a moderation in income and spending, the disinflation of the PCE price indexes in in October, a much stronger-than-expected Chicago PMI for November, and a relatively low level of initial jobless claims. Market participants were also digesting more earnings news that was generally met with positive responses. Some of the most notable earnings news was the better-than-expected results from software enterprise names such as Snowflake and Elastic and Dow Component Salesforce, was another big winner after reporting earnings. In other news, several OPEC Plus countries confirmed additional voluntary cuts to the total of 2.2 million barrels per day, beginning through January 1st through the end of March of next year. West Texas Genuine Crude Oil futures actually declined 1.5% this week to $74.07 a barrel. So here are some summaries of the daily action for this week. On Monday... It was tough watching the market uh, on Monday, not because of how poorly it did, but because of how little it did until there was some seesaw action at the last hour of trading. The major indices had mixed disposition throughout Monday's trade as neither buyers nor sellers showed much conviction. The S&P 500 equal weight declined two-tenths of 1%. The NASDAQ composite had a small performance edge, drawing added support from select mega-cap names. These gains also helped keep the S&P 500 in a fairly steady position relative to Friday's closing level. In fact, the S&P 500 traded in just a 14-point range between its high and its low. The the, um, deliberate move was reflected in the modest changes for the S&P 500 sectors. Treasury yields took took a lower turn for the week added by a weaker-than-expected October new home sales report and a $55 billion five-year note auction that trumps some soft demand seen in the $54 billion 
two-year rate note auction. Reviewing Monday's data, we saw new home sales decrease 5.6% month-over-month in October to a seasonally adjusted annual rate of 679,000 units from a downward revised 719,000 in September. On a year-over-year basis, new home sales are up 17.7%. The key takeaway from this report is that new home sales activity slumped noticeably in October despite a big drop in median and average selling prices. The latter had to do with a large decline in sales in the high-priced West region. But in general, high mortgage rates and generally high prices combined to create affordability pressures for prospective buyers. On Tuesday, <coughs> the major indices uh, settled Tuesday session, a little change where, there was, where they began the session. It wasn't a bad thing considering how far they had come since late October lows. Little change in the equivalence of a, th- a victory for the bulls are viewed in another light, a defeat for anyone hoping for a more meaningful pullback, either because they're short the market or they have unmet desire to buy at a weakness. Staying factor was provided by Fed Governor Waller, who is an FOMC voter who, according to CNBC, acknowledged that the policy rate could be lowered if inflation continues to fall for several more months. He went on to add that if inflation continues to decline, there is no reason for rates to remain really high. Those remarks were made around mid-morning, on, and they sent the indices to their best levels of the day. The rush of buying interest eventually faded, though, reflecting some of the buyer exhaustion that has set in after the big run from the late October lows. Fed Governor Bowman, who's also an FOMC voter, provided an offset of sorts to the rate cut excitement when she noted in a speech that she would support raising rates again if data slows progress on inflation, has stalled, or is insufficient to bring inflation back down to its 2% target. Her view, notwithstanding the Fed rates fund market appeared to place more of a premium on Mr. Waller's remarks than Ms. Bowman's remark, the two-year note yield, which is more sensitive to changes in the Fed's rates, seemed to react to the same vein, all of it ignoring a $39 billion seven-year note auction that was met with weak demand. The drop in rates was otherwise supportive influence for stocks, which tacked on concerted, which lacked concerted leadership. Reviewing Tuesday's data, the conference board's consumer confidence index checked in 102 for November. That was up from downward revised 99.1 for October, according to advertised. Accordingly, it will be advised, advertised as an uptick in confidence. Not such an ad, uh, advi- advertisement should, <coughs> but such an advertisement should carry the disclaimer that confidence increased in November from a downward revised number for the prior month. The key takeaway from the report is that the confidence in future business conditions, job availability, and incomes for the next six months improved, a helpful attitude that should support the market's prevailing soft landing outlook. The September FHFA housing price index was up six-tenths of 1% month over month following an upwardly revised seven-tenths of 1% increase in August. And the September S&P 500 Case Shiller Home Index was up 3.9% month over month following a downward revised 2.1% increase in the month of August. Dick Donahue with you. We're going to go ahead and take a quick break. We'll be back shortly. Solar isn't free, but the energy it captures can be. Hi, I'm Brad Barron, CEO at Barron Heating, AC, Electrical, and Plumbing. As a trusted, local, five-time award-winning clean energy company with decades of combined solar experience, Barron will support you beyond the panels to provide whole home energy solutions powered by the sun. Despite what those national campaigns may claim, solar is not free. But our sales team and project engineers at Solar by Barron are committed to helping you leverage discounts and rebates turning your sustainable dream into a reality. And here's a brilliant offer. Get an energy-efficient heat pump at half price with your solar installation. That's a value of over $5,000. This offer won't last long, so give Barron a call today. Go solar and upgrade your HVAC system to a heat pump for half price. With Barron, you'll save money on sustainable solutions that go beyond the panels, keeping you comfortable year-round. Barron, your full-service HVAC, electrical, and plumbing contractor. Our mission, improving lives. 
Do you know a group or individual in our community who work tirelessly to make a difference? Dedicated to Service wants to give them a special shout out on the air. Email the details to dedicated at cascaderadiogroup.com. Brought to you by Nieder House of Luxury, voted best jewelry store in the Northwest. Start your holiday off right by starting out at Nieder House of Luxury. Their beautiful selection of jewelry displayed gorgeously for your viewing. With unique and custom designs, you'll certainly find something for that one you love. Find them at 21 Bellwether Way, Suite 107, next to Lombardi's Back Patio. I'm Dr. Miller, a dentist and a volunteer for Dental Lifeline Network. DLN is a nonprofit that has helped me literally change the lives of people in my community through the donated dental services program. DLN asks dentists to volunteer to see just one of the many patients in need each year. If you're a dentist or know a dentist, please share this information. Like me, they can make a real difference in someone's life. DLN makes it easy. Go to willyouseeone.org to learn more. That's willyouseeone.org. The opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of KGMI or the Cascade Radio Group. If tomorrow all the things were gone, I'd work for all my life. And I had to start again with just my children and my wife. studio and we're asset advisors we are located out on the pacific highway in the pacific commerce center just a little bit south of uh, wilson's furniture out there on the side road going north on the old pacific highway our address is 5060 pacific highway suite 101 ferndale 98248 our phone number 360-733-1200 check out our website finally got us where they got we've had the link for asset advisors llc not net working for a while but we finally got the link back to wealthwakeup.com so remember the show wealth wake up and go online check out our website at wealthwakeup.com okay continuing on with this week's uh, market summary on wednesday we saw the s&p 500 and the nasdaq composite close near their lows of the day registering slim declines due to relative weakness in the mega-cap space. The Dow Jones Industrial Average, meanwhile, eked out a 4.04% gain, while the Russell 2000 and the S&P mid-400 rose 6.6 and 0.4, respectively. There was underlying pressure, or there was an underlying positive bias throughout the session, but buyer enthusiasm faded somewhat as the session progressed. The equal weight S&P 500 logged a four-tenths of 1% gain, but it had been up as much as 1.1% at its high. A drop in Tuesday's yields provided a measure of support for stocks in this seasonally strong period of the market. These moves were partially a reaction to some pleasing reinflation data out of Germany, Spain, and Austria, Australia, and the notion that the Fed cut rates, could cut rates in the first half of next year. Other factors that helped drive the positive bias included an upward revision in the third quarter GDP to 5.2% from 4.9%. General Motors announced an accelerated $10 billion share back pro- buyback program and a 33% increase in its dividend and the favorable response to earnings from CrowdStrike, NetApp, Intuit, Intuit Workday, and Footlocker. Reviewing Wednesday's economic data, we saw that the weekly mortgage banker applications index was up three-tenths of 1%. The prior month was up 3%. We also saw that the third quarter GDP estimate at 5.2%. Prior was at 4.9%. We saw that the third quarter GDP deflator, which is the second estimate, was at 3.5%, and that was unchanged from a month ago. The key takeaway from this report is that the U.S. economy is effectively booming in the third quarter despite higher interest rates added by a strong labor market and disinflation that fueled heavy consumer spending activity. The October uh, uh, trade trades were down $89.9 billion. Prior was revised to my, uh, the trade deficit was revised down to eight, minus 86.8. Uh, October's uh, uh, retail sale inventories were flat. Uh, the, uh, the wholesale inventories were down two-tenths of 1%. And on Thursdays, price action was somewhat mixed. 
The Dow Jones Industrial Average was relatively outperforming, climbing 1.5%, due in part to a big gain in Salesforce after in, in impressing with its earnings results and its outlook for Wednesday after Wednesday's close. The S&P 500 and the NASDAQ Composite, meanwhile, spent most of the session pinned in negative territory due to its lagging mega-cap uh, constituents. The mega-cap growth ETF closed with a tenth of 1% loss. The NASDAQ Composite fell two-tenths of 1%. An uptick in buying activity in the last half hour of trade left the S&P 500 near its high for the day with a four-tenths of 1% gain. The outperformance of the broader market comes in the wake of some economic data that featured a moderation in income and spending and disinflation in the PCE price indexes in, in October and a much, much stronger than expected Chicago PMI in November and a relatively low level of the initial jobless claims. Uh, Treasury yields b- backed up some in response to this data, which kept some buyer enthusiasm in check in the stock market. So reviewing Thursday's data, we saw that October personal income was up two-tenths of 1%. Prior was revised uh, it was to, uh, to 0.4.3. October's personal spending was at two-tenths. Uh, PCE prices were flat. Prior uh, was up, was up four-tenths. The October PCE price core index was up two-tenths or 1%. And a month ago, it was up three-tenths. So the key takeaway from this report is that disinflation seen in the PCE price indexes, which is good. However, the 3.5% increase in core PCE, which is what the Fed focuses on, remains well above its 2% target. It's moving in the right direction, fortunately, but that isn't the type of reading that will move the Fed to think about cutting rates soon. And then the weekly initial job claims were at 218,000. Prior was revised to 211,000 from 209,000. Weekly continuing claims were at 1.927 million. The prior was revised to 1.841 million. The key takeaway from this report is that the layoff activity remains relatively subdued, which is a good thing, but the bad thing is, is, is what fits with the soft labor market is that it's becoming more difficult to find a job after a layoff. Found that the November uh, Chicago PMI was at 55.8, a month ago it was 44, and the October pending home sales were down 1.5%. The prior was revised to 1% from 1.1. On Friday, the S&P 500 closed its best level for March. The index failed across 4,600, reaching 4,599 as high before closing below that level. The NASDAQ Composite and the Dow Jones Industrial Average showed gains of six-tenths of 1% and eight-tenths of 1% respectively, while the Russell 2000 jumped 3%. The price action in the early going was lackluster, though with the three major major trading, uh, um, with the three major trading indexes trading near Thursday's closing levels. Buying activity picked up in the stock market around the same time that the, the buying picked up in treasuries. The two near year note yield note sank 14 basis points on Friday to 4.56%. The 10 year note settled down 13 basis points to 423. These moves were partially a reaction to the morning's economic releases. Briefly, the S&P 500 global U.S. manufacturing PMI was unchanged from the flash November reading. The manufacturing PMI from its ISM uh, Institute reflected contracting activity at a pace that was unchanged from October, and the construction spending report for October was stronger than expected. Market participants were also reacting to Fed Chair Powell's speech on Friday, which did not contain anything surprising. Just about everything in came along for the upside ride, added to it by a fear of missing out on further gains in the seasonality strong period for the market. So reviewing Friday's economic data, we saw the November S&P 500, or the S&P Global U.S. Manufacturing PMI at final at 49.4, same as a month ago, and the ISM Manufacturing Index at 46.7. That also was at 46.7 a month ago. The key takeaway from this report is that there was little overall change in the strength of the manufacturing sector in November, which was disappointing since the market had expected a pace of contraction would decelerate. Furthermore, the production index fell into contraction territory at 48.5, while 
while showing a slight expansion after showing a slight expansion of 550.4 in October. And October's construction spending is up six-tenths of 1%. The month before was revised from up four down to up two-tenths. The key takeaway from this report is the construction spending continuing growing in October, which is positive for the economy at a time when analysts and investors are on guard for signs of potential sudden economic weakness. For instance, manufacturing spending is up a robust 71.2% year over year. So year-to-date, up through Friday, Dow Jones Industrial Average is now up 9.3%. The NASDAQ is up 36.7%. The S&P 500 up 19.7%. And the Russell 2000 is up 5.8%. And taking a quick look at our high-frequency data for the week, we saw initial jobless claims, as I mentioned, minute ago for the ending November 24th were at 218,000. That was an increase of 3.3%. Continuing claims, 1927000 That was an increase of 4.7%. Box office receipts for the weekend in November 30th were down again at 32.4%. Rail car traffic as of November 24th was down 17.2%. Steel production was down a half. High hotel occupancy for the weekend in November 18th was at 62.4%. That was down 3.7%. TSA checkpoint data as of the 30th of November and 2,386,300 passengers a day. That was actually down 2%. The uh, supply of motor gasoline was uh, was down 3.2%. And global commercial flights as of November 30, 119,483 a day. That was up 1.6%. Dick Donahue with you with Wealth Wake Up Live. We will be back shortly. Hi, it's Scott from Northwest Sleep Solution in Fairhaven. You know, I've sold mattresses in Bellingham and Washington County for a lot of years now. And I got a call from a lady the other day that was asking about our selection. She wanted one of these memory foam beds in a box you can get online, and we don't carry that. And she says, well, how do you have the best selection? So I explained to her the best selection often means not only what you do carry, but what you don't carry as well. And so at Northwest Sleep, rather than memory foam, we carry Tempur-Pedic as the highest rated mattress on the planet. Rather than some of the generic coil beds out on the market, we carry Beautyrest, the invented of the pocket of coil. We carry things that we believe in and we don't carry things we don't. So come see us at Northwest Sleep Solutions on the corner of 10th and McKenzie in Fairhaven. Northwest Sleep Solutions. The solution for a good sleep. At Puget Sound Energy, we're proudly aspiring to reduce our own emissions to net zero and to go beyond by helping others reduce carbon across Washington. Together, we're investing in local renewables, strengthening the electric grid, helping customers switch to electric vehicles, innovating with low-carbon resources, supporting our communities, and saving energy along the way. Together, we're creating a clean energy future. What the? The hardwood, the carpeting, everything's soaked. The pipes must have burst. We better call Swans. If you have water damage, call Swans Clean Care and Restoration first. They work with all major insurance companies, and their new infrared thermal imaging technology enables them to detect hidden problems before they cause more damage. Swans is the water damage experts. They even offer ceiling drying for roof leaks. So call Swans today or visit them online at swanscarpetcleaning.com. We don't have the usual traffic jams that they have in the big city, but sometimes things happen to snarl everything up. Depend on KGMI to keep cruising to your destination with KGMI traffic alerts. We'll tell you where the trouble spots are. And if you see problems on the road, give us a call at 360-676-5464 so we can spread the word. KGMI News Talk 790, 96.5 FM and KGMI.com. The latest local news and important topics of the day from the West Mechanical Studio. Tired of inefficient heating, poor indoor air quality, and rising energy bills? Contact West Mechanical today to explore going ductless with a system from Mitsubishi Electric Heating and Air Conditioning. Find them at westmechanical.net. Get the latest news and information 24-7 with KGMI News Talk 790, 96.5 FM in Bellingham and KGMI.com. 
CBS News Brief, Prime Minister Netanyahu has recalled Israeli negotiators from Doha due to what his office calls an impasse. Government spokesman Elon Levy on why the ceasefire ended. Hamas decided to terminate the pause by failing to release all the kidnapped women as it was obligated to do so and kidnapped children and by resuming rocket fire. High hopes at the UN Climate Conference with a timetable for saving the planet. Adair Turner chairs the Energy Transitions Commission. By 2050, we should be producing and using 70% less gas, 85% less coal, and as much as 95% less oil than we do today. Severe weather in the deep south this weekend. Here's Weather Channel meteorologist Kelly Cass. We've had some hail as big as golf balls. That was in Assumption Parish, eastern Louisiana, and will continue to be the threat for stronger to severe thunderstorms as we go throughout the day. CBS News Brief. I'm Peter King. And I'm proud to be an American where at least I know I'm free and I won't forget the men who died who gave that right to me and I gladly stand up. Welcome back to Wealth Wake Up Live. Dick Donahue with you this Saturday morning. And I like to take a look at different parts of the economy every week. And this week, we're going to take a deeper look at the U.S. Strategic Petroleum Reserve. After the 1973 OPEC oil embargo, the International Energy Agency, or IEA, was formed in large part to help mitigate damages for any future shortages in oil. Members of the IEA were tasked with holding inventory of petroleum equivalent at at least 90 days of their net petroleum imports. President Gerald Ford signed the Energy Policy and Conservation Act of 1975, which created the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, which they began filling in 1977. Over the past three years, as inflation has run rampant, Along with the war in Ukraine, President Biden gave orders for emergency drawdowns of the Strategic Petroleum Reserve to help mitigate price increases. This, coupled with exchanges and planned sales, has drained the SPR to its lowest level in 40 years. Many are concerned about this, but they do they need to be. For a more in-depth perspective of the SPR and what is going on, let's talk a little bit about this. It's interesting in looking at this, the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, it comprises of 60 salt caverns strategically situated across four locations on the Gulf Coast, with two sites in Texas, Bryan Mound and Big Hill, and two in Louisiana, West Hasbury and Bayo Chateau. These central locations facilitate the efficient distribution of oil to nearly half of all U.S. oil refineries through interstate pipelines or barges. The salt caverns are roughly cylindrical in shape, an average height of 2,550 feet, almost half a mile, and a diameter of 200 feet. At present, the average price paid for the oil in storage is $29.70 a barrel. If you look at the um, U.S. ending stocks of uh, crude oil uh, in the um, uh, strategic reserve, it began filling in 77. It peaked at 727 million barrels in December of 2009, hitting maximum capacity. However, since 2020, the Strategic Petroleum Reserve has been cut by 45%, plummeting to the levels last observed in 1983. The contemporary energy landscape in the United States differs significantly from that of 1983, owing much of this transformative t- to technologies of fracking and horizontal drilling. Notably, the domestically produced oil is characterized as light sweet crude, obviating the necessity to replenish the SPR with this type. So instead, the Department of Energy has set its sights on medium sour barrels, which would be much harder to assess should a foreign disruption occur. So looking at the U.S. net uh, imports of oil and production products, we see that in 1983, the SPR averaged 379 million barrels, providing an 88-day supply based on total net petroleum imports. Today, the U.S. has transitioned from a net importer to a net exporter, taking, making the exact days of supplies inc- incalculable. 
Among the 31 IEA member nations, the U.S. is now one of only four operating as a net exporter. And while the Strategic Petroleum Reserve remains a significant backstop, its role has evolved, no longer as crucial as before, reflecting the changed dynamics of the U.S. energy landscape. Okay, going to change tunes here. Going to talk a little bit about growth versus value investing. Uh, another way of saying it is dividend stocks versus growth stocks. And, you know, we like to, th- like to do this update every few months so investors uh, uh, can see which type of the two styles, growth or value, are delivering the better returns. Uh, value stocks have tended to outperform growth stocks when the yield on the U.S. 10-year ten- Treasury uh, note or T-note as we know it, rises, and growth stocks tend to outperform value when the yield on the 10-year note falls. The yield on the 10-year note rose by 359 basis points. That would be 3.59% over a three-year period ending in November 24th of this year, according to data from Bloomberg. For comparison, the yield on the 10-year Treasury note rose 60 point basis points year-to-date through November 24th, with a 51 basis point of that increase occurring since the end of July. So the total returns are as follows, looking at pure growth versus pure value. The 25-year average, the pure growth is averaged 8.82%. Value is averaged 7.9%. 15 years, the uh, average for growth, 15.3%. Value, 14.355. Pretty close there. The 10-year average, growth has been up 9.59. Value up a little over 7 the five-year average also shows growth up 9.3 and value up 6.5, 6.47 to be exact. The three-year annual rate, growth is up 0.79. All of a sudden, value is up 9.21%. And in the last year, growth is down about 3.06% and value is down about 6%. And year-to-date, the year-to-date uh, growth is up 3.06% and value is still down about 1.59%. So as of October 31st, the sector with the largest weighting in the pure growth index was energy at 29.6%, according to S&P Dow Jones indices. At 23.3%, financials had the largest weighting in the S&P 500 pure value index uh, on the same date. With a year-to-date return of minus 0.81 through November 24th, energy was the eighth best-performing sector out of the 11 major sectors in the S&P 500 by comparison, financials posted a year-to-date uh, total return of 4.9%. The top three performing sectors for the year-to-date for their returns through November 24th, communication services it was up 52.9%, information technology up 51.75%, consumer discretion up 33.72%. Also, as of October 31st, those three sectors combined, uh, uh, comprised a combined 20.5% and 32.9% of the total weighting of pure growth and pure value, respectively. So what is our takeaway from this? Well, the total returns illustrate that pure growth index has enjoyed higher total returns than pure value in six of the seven time periods that we talked about, including the year-to-date time frame. In our view, expectations regarding near-term changes in the yield of the 10-year trade note may be influencing investors' appetite for growth-oriented issues. Debate regarding the direction of the federal funds target rate continues, with the federal funds rate uh, futures marking prices at just 4.8% chance of a rate hike in the uh, next Federal Reserve Open Market meeting in, on November or December 13th. This, the same futures market indicates a 62.2% chance of an interest rate cut by June of 24. Really is what, so the reality is that regardless of what the Federal Reserve's next move is, there's no way to predict the direction of the yield of the 10-year Treasury note. For, from our perspective, given the various averages presented to in these charts, the investors may be best served by diversifying their, their capital allocations between both investment styles. So a little growth, a little value probably makes some sense. Uh, talked about energy a minute ago. Going to go back here, talking about climates a little bit. Um, talking about the emission mission. November 30th was the start of the UN Climate Change Conference, uh, or COP 
uh, COP28 to discuss action on the critical climate change issues. While there's much work to be done to get to zero emissions by 2050, the U.S. shift away from coal has yielded benefits beyond environmental improvements. Now, now, how has this uh, shift impacted the U.S. economy? How might investors benefit from this going forward? Well, historically, coal was the dominant source of energy in the U.S., powering industries and households alike, despite its large environmental footprint and health concerns. However, the advent of advanced drilling techniques in the mid-2000s, such as hydraulic fracturing or fracking and horizontal drilling, enabled access to vast reserves of natural gas previously thought unreachable. While natural gas is a fossil fuel, natural gas combustion emits considerably lower CO2 than coal, making it a preferred alternative for electricity generation. The transition from coal to natural gas not only helped reduce the greenhouse gas emissions, but also mitigated the environmental and health issues associated with coal mining and combustion. However, or moreover, the increased supply of natural gas is, is kept keeping energy prices low in the U.S., providing American consumers with lower utility bills compared with other parts of the world. In our view, the, net, the U.S. natural gas boom was more than just an energy shift. It was an economic and environmental milestone. According to the Energy Information Administration, Natural gas is expected to be the dominant source of energy in the U.S. for the rest of the decade. We believe that there are several uh, companies within the energy industry going through a positive life cycle change, particularly those engaged in production, transmission, and distribution of natural gas, which demonstrates prudent capital allocation by redirecting excess cash into the debt reduction, dividends, and share cash, share buybacks. That out of my tongue here. Anyway, Dick Donahue with you with Wealth Wake Up Live here on KGMI. We'll be back shortly. Twas weeks into the season, the weather quite cold. Mama and I noticed our furnace was old. It clanked and it clattered and it wasn't quite heating. We knew through the years that it took quite a beating. Tis the season for Feller Heating. Give them a call today. As an American Standard Heating and Air Conditioning dealer, they provide maximum savings. Call Feller today and take control. Feller Heating, designing peace of mind. Online at fellerheating.com. This week with PW Perks, you can get two $25 gift certificates for the price of one at Menace Brewing. And yes, you heard that right. That's $25 worth of free beer. You don't need to go to Boston to find a place where everybody knows your name. Menace Brewing in Bellingham's Fountain District is family owned and operated and pet and family friendly. So when you're at Menace Brewing, you're always family. Whether you're looking for a place to catch a soccer match, test yourself on trivia night, or grab some delicious food from one of their rotating food trucks, Menace Brewing is your friendly neighborhood brewery. Stop by from noon till 10 daily and enjoy a refreshing craft pint. Bring your friends and make some new ones. So next time you'd like to get away, head to Menace Brewing on the corner of the Guide and West North Street in Bellingham. Thursday at 8 a.m., you can get $50 to spend at Menace Brewing for just $25. For more details, go to pnwperks.com or this station's website. Cheers! KGMI Connects with Joe Tian is about our community and you. I happen to believe that the Bellingham, Whatcom County, uh, the Fraser River Delta, Nooksack, is an enormous healing area. Each weekday at 4 p.m. I'm the old dog. When I walk down railroads, I'm the one who knows who just got here and who didn't. I see them, they're so angry from where they came from, and then through the years, they mellow out because there's a healing energy here. On KGMI 790, 96.5 FM, and KGMI.com. Cause there ain't no doubt I love this land God bless the USA Welcome back to Wealth Wake Up Live. Dick Donahue with you this Saturday morning. Give me a call. Well, love to meet with you. Love to talk to you. Our phone number is 360-733-1200. And as I mentioned earlier, our website at wealthwakeup.com is back functioning under the wealthwakeup.com. It was working under assetadvisorsllc.net, but I just find wealthwakeup.com easier for people to remember. So check us out, wealthwakeup.com. Well, going to take a second here, talk about why we should own equities. You know, how fast the world can change. Not long ago, in a world of extremely low 
and even negative interest rates around the globe, stocks flourish as investors claim that there was no alternative. That was the TINA acronym, the there is no alternative to equities. Investors justified large equity overweights, applauded higher profits, but ignored ever-increasing valuations as stocks rose much more rapidly than those profits. It worked well. The Federal Reserve funds rate started 2019 at 2.5%. It ended 2021 at a quarter percent. Stock prices, as measured by the S&P 500 index in that time, rose nearly 100% during those three years. Regates began to climb in early 22. The Fed funds rates increasing from a quarter to 5.5% in only 20 months. Stock prices have fallen about 9% over those 20 months. In today's world of higher interest rates, the most startling narrative that we hear is not that equities are no longer the only game in town. That's certainly true. Cash and bonds, alternatives, have all have real returns today. There are fine places to invest today, in our view, and no, it's not surprising that those same investors who own stocks are now questioning whether to own the asset class at all. Talk about fair weather fans. But let's take a risk. What is there? But that is what a risk-free five and a half percent funds rate, Fed rate, does to investor focused on short run. In our view, why not sit and wait for more certainty? For anyone focused on creating wealth over time, however, we believe not owning equities is the greater risk. Timing the market rarely works, as you have to get two decisions right, when to get out and when to get back in. Would you have bought stocks in March of 2020 as COVID-19 hit the world uh, shutdown? Since March 11th, when the NBA walked off the court, you could have gained 62% if you had bought stocks in the close of the day through October 31st of this year. If you waited to buy until fights were Monday, which was November 9th of 20, when fights were announced uh, success in testing a vaccine against the virus, you would have had just a 24% gain through today. Almost uh, a 40% difference, or put another way, seven years of pre-tax ter- treasury bill returns, stocks are almost significantly superior to fixed income investments over the long run for any after-tax returns and as an inflation hedge. So what if we have a recession? This question keeps coming up. History shows the time immediately prior to and during a recession is not catastrophic for equities. Going back to the 1940s, there have been 12 recessions to hit the U.S. The average S&P 500 index in the six months before this recession started was just minus one tenth or one percent. During the recession, the average return was positive, up 3.8 percent. Additionally, rallies that have come swiftly and being out of the market can greatly impact your long-term returns. We believe there's plenty of a pretty simple path for investors who plan to grow their wealth instead of celebrating short-term market timing, with, which rarely works. Stocks always win in the long run. While moving in and out of the market can create short-term gains, it's almost always accompanied with long-term underperformance. Instead, we believe the focus should be maintaining equity exposure while, t- while tilting the odds in your favor. Over the course of the year, we've expressed our preferences for quality stocks. We're getting broader in odds in our favor. Uh, An allocation and focusing on evaluation as ways to position uh, within equities in this environment. These ideas uh, remain our preference as we maintain equity exposure. So looking at some of these um, historical histories, Going back to January 30th of 1948, uh, looking at the different recessions that we've had over different periods of time, and this goes up through uh, February 29th of 1920, which is the last recession, we find that over those period of times, if you look at the markets six months before, the average market was down about 1.08% six months before a recession started. However, during those same recessions, the average market was up about 3.81%. We're also seeing that one year after the recessions have ended, the markets are up an average of over 21%. We're seeing that three years after the recessions ended, 
The markets have been above an average of over 49%. Five years after the recession ended, the markets have been up almost 94%. And if you look at 10 years after the, re- the recession, the markets have been up over 250%. So a lot of the concerns we have about recessions and what's going to happen to our accounts and what have you kind of shows that we need to weather those storms. And let's see here. We're seeing that economists are seeing that with stubborn core inflation is going to keep rates higher. The Federal Reserve's preferred underlying inflation measure uh, will be uh, slower to recede, which should keep interest rates higher for longer, according to Bloomberg's latest survey of economists. Forecasters marked up their projections for this annual so-called Core Personal Consumption Expenditures Index, which is largely through the end of the next year, per the results of this November survey. The measure, which excludes the volatile food and energy categories, is seen as a 2.5% at the end of 2024, up from 2.4% in last month's poll. Meanwhile, the overall PCE metric and its alternative consumer price index are seen receding faster than previously thought through the mid-24. Those measures have shown greater disinflation in recent months, largely due to a pullback in energy prices. While recent reports have showed encouraging signs that price pressures are easing, Fed officials have repeatedly indicated that they must see sustained signs of cooling before declaring victory on inflation. Policymakers favor the core gauges as a better indicator of the underlying price pressures. And though economists still expect the Fed to start lowering monetary policy, loosening monetary policy in the second quarter of next year, they now see the central bank keeping interest rates higher through the end of 25. Forecasters expect the economy to expand at an annualized 1.2% pace in this current quarter, up from 7 tenths of 1% in the previous survey. Though stronger consumer and government spending are seen as aiding the economy in the short run, economists are now projecting a major slowdown in private investments to dampen growth through early 25. Consumer spending has proved largely resilient as the job market remains broadly strong, but demand for workers is slowly starting to soften. Economists still project the unemployment rate to peak at 4.4%, but now see a law taking longer to come down. They also expect the U.S. to add fewer payrolls on the average through 2025. With real household disposable incomes turning negative, pandemic-era uh, savings showing signs of exhaust, exhausted, um, uh, uh, being exhausted amongst lower-income groups and borrowing levels uh, tur- turning lower, they do expect the Fed to respond with interest rate cuts from the second quarter onwards. This survey was conducted between November 17th and 22nd, and it recu- included responses from a total of 73 different economists. And we're also seeing that housing prices have hit record highs for the eighth month in a row. Home prices in the U.S. extended their climb, reaching a fresh record high. The national gauge of prices rose seven-tenths of 1% in September from August, according to a seasonally adjusted data from the S&P CoreLogic Case-Shiller. It was the eighth straight month of gains in this index, which doesn't provide a specific dollar figure for homes. Mortgage rates above 7% have chilled the housing market, keeping both would-be buyers and sellers on the sidelines. Uh, Shoppers determined to land a purchase uh, often get dragged into a bidding wars for the scant supply of listed properties. The persistent inventory crunch has driven prices up since the bottom of January. Although this year's increase in mortgage rates has surely suppressed the quality or quantity of homes sold, the relative shortage of inventory for sale has taken a solid support for prices. On a year-over-year basis, prices have climbed 3.9% in September compared with a 2.5% annual increase in August. Default Detroit, San Diego, and New York were among the cities with the biggest price gains. The western part of the U.S. remained the weakest, the data showed. New listings have been ticking up recently. Mortgage rates have declined after peaking earlier this month, signs that some conditions are improving for home buyers. In the four weeks through November 19th, new listings increased 5.2% from a year earlier, the biggest gain in more than two years, according to a report by Redfin Corp. So 
continue to see some volatility in the real estate market. Interest rates have come down a little bit. If they do, mortgage rates come down. That should help kick it a little bit in the butt. You know, might help also maybe loosen things up a little bit because we saw a lot of homeowners who either bought during the low interest rates and have those locked-in rates of 3 4% or less. They're really reluctant to go out there and buy one at 7%, which is understandable, especially with the inflated values. But we see these interest rates start coming down. Why then we should start seeing some of those properties come on the market, and that'll help loosen things up some as well. This has been Dick Donahue with you with Wealth Wake Up Live here in KGMI this Saturday morning. As always, if you've got questions for me, give me a call, 360-733-1200. And don't forget our show tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock. I'll spend time going through all of the economic releases for this week. And I always, always appreciate your time listening with us. Give us a call, 733-1200. Don't forget, you can check out our website at wealthwakeup.com. Well, thanks and have a great week. on the show are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult the appropriate qualified professional prior to making a decision.